0: The brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. This is his weekly Monday appearance, the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And what follows, as he does every week, Dave Cameron, in this particular episode of Fangraphs Audio, endeavors to analyze all baseball. Of particular note, all of the transactions ...that have occurred over the last week. The Toronto Blue Jays, for example, acquired Josh Donaldson... ...in exchange for Brett Laurie and other pieces. Dave Cameron discusses that. The Arizona Diamondbacks, for example, signed Cuban defector... Yosmany Tomas for six years and sixty-whatever million dollars. Dave Cameron discusses that. Not entirely dissimilar, uh, if slightly older player... ...Nelson Cruz also signed... ...in fact, just today, just signed this Monday... Signed for four years, $58 million with the Seattle Mariners. Dave Cameron discusses that. In fact, about that Nelson Cruz signing, he uh, he says this.
1: I think if you look at the steamer forecast, uh, which would project him for three to four wins over the next couple of years, you're looking at about 15 to $20 million a win, which is a lot.
0: It's Fangraphs Audio. It features managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, and it begins right now.
1: Uh good. I'm glad I could spend 15 minutes of my time waiting for that to happen.
0: Yeah, that's good. Were you able to do anything else while you were waiting? <clears throat> no, I just had to sit by the phone and wait for Turing. Oh. Yeah. Well, maybe you had a contemplative moment then. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I could facilitate that. <laughs> Me too. Um, you want to talk about – hey, can we talk about all the, Q, um, the, the Cuban – the relevant Cuban names? Uh,
1: sure, like the, all the ones that start with Y.
0: Yeah, well actually, I don't know if you, well you wouldn't have listened to the podcast, but do you know that there's a reason for why all the Cuban players' names mm. start with Y? Yeah, because they're ties to Russia. Oh, how did you know that?
1: The uh, you know, I think it's like fairly common, right? Like, you know, Vladimir, you know, Vladimir Guerrero, this is like a, why is there a guy from the Dominican named Vladimir? It's like, well, there's socialist, uh, Soviet, Soviet uh, influences in that part of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. You did it. When well, you crack that, crack that case, the, <clears throat> uh, a player has signed well, okay, so a lot of other things have happened. Uh, Nelson Cruz has signed, but um today, Monday, you've used that as an opportunity to question uh what uh what might be the better or the worst investment, I guess, uh, spending what, four fifty something, four fifty six? Four fifty seven for Nelson Cruz, yeah. Four fifty seven for Nelson Cruz or six sixty eight for Desmond <laughs> Thomas. But I just wanna um I, I realize that maybe I don't necessarily have all my all my Cuban free agents in line at the moment, and I'm and I want to visit them. I know that. So let's start with Yasmani Thomas. He just signed. <coughs> up,
1: I, th- uh, I think you should probably probably pronounce it Tomas would be my guess. I don't uh. think his last name is Thomas.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, Have you been hanging out with Enosaurus lately? No, no. Well, you don't think he's a British aristocrat? <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, Thomas seems like maybe not not the way he would pronounce
0: All it. All right, let's let's start with Tomas. Yeah.
1: Yasmani Tomas.
0: Yasmani Tomas. Yeah. Uh, he. So basically uh, in the the distant no the the not very distant past there have been a number of cubans signed and almost all of them have returned have uh, um, been a considerable provided a considerable return on the investment for the team.
1: Yes cubans have been a huge bargain lately.
0: Right. Yeah. Um and it's it's not just because they're given they're being given nothing contracts it actually turns out they're uh, they're quite good.
1: Uh right yeah I mean yeah right I think of the last five or six Cuban free agents to sign most of them have turned into
0: all stars right 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 and then uh, some lower profile Cuban players have also signed like Henry, Erudia Harusha yeah um you, you know he is a potential but he was already older and I don't think he was regarded as a uh, as a high profile no I think
1: he got four million dollars or something he he's not in the same class as uh, you know Leonis Martin or Rolles Chapman or Yasiel Puig or Jose Rey or you know, the guys who have been getting significant sums of money.
0: Right, of course. Uh, so let's talk about Tomas. Um, and I just want to characterize, I just want to, um, I don't know if, uh, and of course Jeff Sullivan went through and uh, used scouting reports to essentially like create a uh, some comparables to you know, Tomas. Uh, can you remind us though, who is Yasmani Tomas? And I'd also like you to remind us who the other sort of relevant Cuban free agents are at the moment.
1: So Tomas is basically a right-handed slugger, uh, you know, maybe like the, the body, think of like the body shape of Pablo Sandoval in an outfield package, maybe with less athleticism, uh, but more power. So, um, you know, I think the, the scouting grades that have been coming out of watching his batting practices and, uh, kind of elevating or uh, evaluating his swing probably put him in like a 65 to 70 power range, which puts you, you know, in the, upper tier of major league players. I think, you know, like, there's probably Jean-Carlo Stanton's an 80, Bryce Harper's an 80, and there's not that many 80 power guys. So Tomas is, you know, a step below that in power. I think for most teams, the question was, will he hit for enough uh average to allow the power to play, and will he do anything else useful to help a team win? And there were enough questions about that to where he, you know, only got basically the same contract Jose Abreu got last winter, uh, plus the opt-out after the fourth year.
0: Do we, uh, with regard, or, you know, in terms of comparing him to Jose Abreu, do we think that he has more or less defensive value?
1: Probably more. I mean, Abreu is seen as a, you know, mostly first baseman DH. Um, you know, maybe some teams leaning more towards the DH side of things. He didn't look particularly good in the field last year for the White Sox. Uh, Abreu is certainly bigger than Tomas uh, in terms of size. Uh, Tomas is, uh, you know, theoretically capable playing the outfield. There were some teams that... You know, maybe thought that was a stretch, but, uh, no one has said that Tomas, you know, at least can't play the field, where, uh, you know, a good amount of teams thought a was basically just a DH.
0: Okay. Now, of course, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks already have Paul Goldschmidt. Yep. So, if there was, uh, if there was some question of Tomas being able to play the outfield, it does not appear as though, um, the D-backs were one of the teams asking that question.
1: Right. I mean, there was actually, uh, some, uh thought that maybe Tomas could play third base. I think he actually worked out there for a few teams, but no one seemed to think it was a good idea. Uh there is some chance where if the if Tomas is a disaster in the outfield and just shows that he can't run around, they could try him at third. Uh you know, he apparently has the arm strength for it and uh you know maybe they could uh hide him at third base better than they could hide him in the outfield. Um so I think that's probably the the pecking order in Arizona is try him in the outfield first. If that doesn't work, maybe third base is the next option. And if that doesn't work, probably a trade to
0: the American League. Okay. right. So um, now that team also has Mark Trumbo, which is now putting a player in Tomas, uh, maybe with uh, questionable defensive credentials in left field. And then Mark Trumbo, who uh, I'm not looking right now at his um, defensive numbers. Uh, but I do remember a couple of, uh, I think, memorable gaffes in his sort of first year as a full-time left fielder. Yeah, he's not good out there. Okay. Now he's going to be not good in in right field, one assumes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my guess would be this is not a long-term solution for the Diamondbacks. I think they're probably just trying to stockpile hitters, and then they'll kind of sort out uh, who plays where, uh, after they get a decent idea of, you know, what Tomas is and whether Trumbo can bounce back, I would imagine they won't have those two flanking center field for very long. If to, if Trumbo comes back and has a bounce back year, he immediately becomes a trade candidate. Uh And I would think maybe they see Tomas as, you know, a better version of what they thought Trumbo was going to be after being pretty disappointed with Trumbo in year one.
0: Right. Trumbo, of course, I mean, I think Trumbo still hit home runs, right?
1: Yeah, but not as many as they would have liked him to do, and he was atrocious at everything that was not hitting home runs. Right. He was really bad last year.
0: Oh yeah, look at that! Just uh, just yeah. looking at it. Not, not good at all. Uh, uh, yeah. Less than a. Um, I should. Wait, how do you say more than a negative win? Greater uh, less uh, than negative yeah, one.
1: Yeah. Right. He was uh, worth less than one win
0: yeah. last year. Right. Worth worth.
1: Yeah. That's a tricky. That's worth a tricky less sentence. than
0: negative one win. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, that's not he good. He coughed his team wins. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. we, you and I, helped the Diamondbacks, uh, more than him by not playing.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, see, I see, I see people make comments like this whenever someone has a negative <laughs> one, and it's not really true because it assumes that we are replacement level, which is not, not the case.
0: Yeah. Well, then we helped them even more by not playing.
1: Uh, right, yes. The Diamondbacks were terrific for, compared to having us in the field.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alright. Hey, you know, if, uh, if some people listen to this, I think actually last week someone wrote a beautiful and desperate comment um, on uh, on uh, the uh, at the site with regard to this edition of the podcast. Uh, he wrote, "I enjoy the podcasts. Most of my human interaction consists of commercial transactions. I'm very lonely. This is true. Keep up the good work." So. Uh, to that person, it looks like Jason wrote that. Jason, just think about how much he helped the Diamondbacks this year by not playing for them.
1: Yeah, well, if, uh, if transactions are what makes him not lonely, then this is a good week for him, because this is a pretty busy transaction week.
0: No, no, I think his job is performing commercial transactions. Oh,
1: well, yeah. sucks for you then, Jason.
0: Yeah, it sucks for him, but, but, uh, hopefully he's listening, and hopefully he's bucked up, uh, by these recent, recent discoveries. Um, Okay, so that, that's Yosemani Tomas. May or may not be a Diamondback for a while. Mark Trumbo may or may not be a Diamondback for a while. They have some uh, large right-handed hitters is the point now.
1: Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt, also a right-handed hitter. That, that team is probably going to be very tough against left-handed pitching and pretty crappy against right-handed pitching.
0: Okay. Uh, and they don't have Gerardo Parra anymore, who I believe is a Milwaukee Brewer at this well, point. Well, now he's a free agent. Now he's a free agent?
1: Well, okay, so he's not technically a free agent. He's expected to be non-tendered, in which case he will be made a free agent.
0: Is that because uh, – well, Gerardo Parra is also – I don't know why we're talking about Gerardo Parra right now, but he's been a decent player in the past. In fact, uh uh well, largely on the basis uh, – largely due to um, his defense, he was worth almost five wins a couple of years ago. But I don't think anyone thinks of him as a five-win player. He, he could be a one- or two-win player, though, given playing time, or uh, very helpful in a platoon.
1: Yeah, I think Parra's kind of like in that all 100 de aza like, labeled as a fourth outfielder, but probably good enough to play every day for, you know, not the best team in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh But these guys are often overlooked. I mean, I think every winter we can find, you know, five or six of these kind of speed and defense guys who hit, you know, a little bit below average and say, you know, some teams should just give them 500 at-bats. And, you know, it's going cost you a couple million bucks, and it'll be better than signing Nelson Cruz. Right.
0: So a, uh, would you put Gregor Blanco in that same category? Yeah,
1: exactly. I think that, you know, there's a lot of these kinds of players out there and the market still doesn't value them that highly.
0: Right. Uh, well maybe it's because there are lots of those kinds of players. That
1: is one of the reasons, yeah.
0: There it is. Okay, yeah. yeah. Alright, we're getting, uh, we're getting through things now. Uh, we're talking about Cubans. Ismani Tomas is one of them he just signed. Who, uh, who, who else are we looking at? Uh, Kylie McDaniel has been writing a lot about one in particular.
1: Yeah, Yoan Mancata. He's a, he's a slightly different player in that he's 19, so most of the Cubans who've been coming out lately are a little bit older, uh, and because of the collective bargaining agreement splitting, uh, international free agents into under 22 and over 22 pools, the over 22 guys like, uh, Yasmani Tomas or Jose Abreu or Yasiel Puig, uh, well Puig signed before these rules went in, but players in this age bracket, uh, are not subject to the international spending limits. Teams can spend whatever they want, so the Diamondbacks uh, gave Tomas a $68 million deal over six major league years, and there's no tax on that. There's no penalty for doing it. He was treated just like any other free agent. Uh, Mancata is 19, which means he is subject to the uh, pools available to teams to sign international free agents. And uh, major league baseball has instituted some pretty harsh penalties, theoretically, uh, for going over those pools, uh But lately, over the last year or two, teams have figured out that it is probably more beneficial to ignore those spending caps entirely, take the penalties, and just sign an elite player, uh, and kind of uh, cycle through. Where you, you know, the penalty uh, beyond 100% tax, which means you basically double the cost of every player you sign, uh, is that you can't sign any player in the future for the next year or two years for more than 250 or 300 thousand dollars, which takes you out of the elite player talent for. Say two or three years, um, or one or two years after this, the year that you're, you're signing the player in. So you say, okay, if I'm gonna take a two year penalty where I can't buy the best player, but I get a guy who I think is far and away better than, you know, the next best player in those s- spots, then it's worth it. So I think what we're gonna see this winter is, uh, the teams that are interested in Yohan Mankata are going to be bidding, you know, at ten times in international bonus pools, uh, and Mankata's probably gonna end up going for between the, the rumors is between 30 and 40 million dollars, which after you apply 100% tax is gonna put the cost at between 60 and 80 million dollars, uh, for a 19 year old who isn't big league ready. So, uh, that tells you something about what scouts think of Mankata's future. Uh, and, you know, as a, a decent proxy for, you know, maybe what the value of the number one pick in the draft is. Is Mankata's considered to be that kind of talent? Uh, but it's mostly future value, not present value. So if you're asking, you know, what is the number one pick in the draft worth, uh, the Yohan Mankata situation might answer that question for us fairly well.
0: Yeah, and, and what sort of player is Mankata?
1: Well, he's an infielder, uh, theoretically a shortstop, but probably more of a second or third baseman. Uh, you know, kind of an all around player who's getting, uh, rave reviews for his athleticism and power and, uh, ability to hit. I mean, he's one of these guys who's not a one dimensional guy. He's looked at as, you know, maybe a guy who could play, uh, quality defense at a, you know, decently important position. He can run, he can hit, he can hit for power. Uh, certainly, talked about as a guy who could be, you know, the best player on your team.
0: Okay. And uh, it remains to be seen uh, where he'll end up, but uh, I assume that there are some favorite teams.
1: Yeah. It, it, the interesting thing, and, you know, for those who are interested, if they haven't read Kylie's pieces about uh, Mankata, I, I strongly suggest you go do so. Uh, but there's a timing aspect to this where, uh, as we mentioned, there are certain teams like the Texas Rangers who are uh, currently forbidden from signing uh, premium free agents, so over $300,000 because they violated their bonus pool in pre- prior years. So if, if Mankata signs before next July 2nd, the Rangers are out. Uh, they are not allowed to bid. Uh, the Yankees are... Super interested in Mankata. Their penalty is going to begin on July 2nd, so they need if they're going to sign Mankata, it has to happen in this signing period. They have to be able to blow their budget, pay the tax, and then take a couple years off from signing international players uh, under 22 for big contracts. Uh, so depending on where Mankata wants to go, the timing of when he signs actually matters a lot. Because there are some teams who are really interested in this signing period, and there are some teams who will be really interested in the next signing period, uh, and, you know, Mankata can't really choose when he's declared a free agent, that's up to the government, uh, who has to declare him, uh, uh, I guess the Office of, uh, you know, Immigration or OPEC or whatever, and not
0: OPEC, I guess it's the oil. Um, yeah. The oil people—they're
1: probably not involved in this, but uh, whatever the OFAC, I think it is. Uh, I mean, some well,
0: you know, we know it's a government agency. Office they of decide. Foreign
1: Control or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So they have to declare Mankata a free agent, and uh, we don't really know when they're going to do that, and neither does Mankata.
0: Okay. Uh, any other Cubans we should know about?
1: Well, there's, a, I mean, a lot of them. Like, it's an island of people that all matter. Well, right, yeah,
0: right. I mean, they all have important. I'm sure they all right. relevant to their families. Uh, yeah. How, uh, with regard to baseball specifically,
1: uh, I think Wincasa and uh, Tomas were the two big ones this winter. There are others who have uh, defected, but
0: not not at that level. Not at that level. Okay, that's all I needed to know. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, the Nelson Cruz. Well, of course, you wrote about Yosmany Tomas uh today in part because uh Nelson Cruz was signed uh Nelson Cruz is a lumbering uh, a big lumbering 30 what 34 year old person
1: yeah he's 34 year old dh
0: and i think god after la- last year uh he did not accept what he denied a qualifying offer yes and then he signed for less than a qualifying offer. Is is eight
1: sense? million from the Orioles after it became clear that no
0: one wanted to give him the kind of money he was looking for. Okay, right. so listen. So the Mariners signed him for four fifty-seven. You said. Yeah. Okay. This is what this is what this means. The fact that the I am I, even I am smart enough to realize this. This is what this means is that the Mariners are willing to give him that much money after presumably not being willing to give him that much money last year. <clears throat> that means that the the assumption is the Seattle Mariners' assumption is that Nelson Cruz has somehow improved considerably over the last year. So I would agree that
1: there's some assumption of that part in in play, but I don't necessarily know that the Mariners would not have been willing to give him say five sixty five, which is what he's now going to get over these five years. Last winter, I think more likely is that Nelson Cruz now has maybe slightly more affinity for the Mariners. Uh, and Safeco Field than he did a year ago when reportedly, uh, they went after him pretty hard and tried to sign him and he, uh, from what I have been told, uh, had zero interest in playing in Safeco Field. He just didn't want to go there. He didn't see it as a desirable landing spot. He would rather take less money to not play in Seattle. Uh, then they signed Robinson Cano and had a pretty decent season and uh probably a slightly more appealing landing spot for a free agent. He still didn't come cheaply. I mean, they still had to pay through the nose to get him, but he would at least consider going to Seattle this time, whereas maybe that was not the case last winter.
0: Okay. All right. So you think it had more to do with what Seattle's done over the past year than what, what Nelson Cruz has done over the past year?
1: I think it's a mixture of both, but uh from what I understand and what I was told last winter is they were strongly interested in signing him, and uh, the feeling was not reciprocated. So by having a better season and uh spending a lot of money on Robinson Cano, they bought themselves the right to buy Nelson Cruz in a bad contract. Congratulations. That's right. so uh, not, not necessarily the best thing.
0: So the three seasons previous to 2014, yep. he recorded somewhere between one and two wins
1: yeah i think right he was right around one and a half each year
0: right uh he's projected this is not surprising he's projected uh in his age thirty four season 2015 to record uh about one and a half wins
1: uh yep well you basically think that his 2014 was mostly a fluke and he's going to go back to being what he was for the rest of his or the prior part of his career
0: right and presumably yeah. uh presumably he'll he'll be i mean what's he going to be getting per win do you expect well, I, I think if you look
1: at the steamer forecast, uh, which would project him for three to four wins over the next couple of years, you're looking at about 15 to $20 million a win, which is a lot.
0: Right, and it's uh, compared to. Well, do, do you have a sense yet, Cameron, of what it's been? Uh, what the market has suggested, wins are costing. So so
1: I think the early free agent returns are in the eight to ten million or win range, but you know, which sounds high. Last year it was around six or seven, so you know, eight to ten would be a lot higher. But you know, the first free agents off the board always sign for way more than the guys who go later in the off season, because uh, the guys who sign early are basically taking contracts that. Cause them to not want to sit around and wait for a better offer. So, you know, once we factor in the guys who sign in January and February, it's going to go way down. Uh, but right now, I think, you know, if you look at the deals that have been done so far, we're looking at, you know, between eight and 10 million a win, uh, for most of those deals. Cruises still double that.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's just a horrible. I guess what? Uh, they, they like home runs, the Seattle Mariners.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, so, you know, they've made no secret out of the fact that they were looking for a right-handed power hitter this winter. And I think... You know the Mariners are in a situation where they've essentially boxed themselves in, and they said, you know, we're in win now mode. Uh, we're not necessarily concerned about the pre- the future that much. We're looking for the the most significant upgrade we can for 2015, and we want this one specific thing. We want a proven major league right-handed power hitter. There aren't that many of those guys available, right? So if you you can kind of talk yourself into the signing and and liking Nelson Cruz, if you believe that the only alternatives are taking Matt Kemp's entire contract and giving the Dodgers a talent in return uh paying through the nose to acquire justin upton from the braves uh or signing cruz i mean you know if, if you think that, that those are the right-handed power options available to you this winter uh you could maybe justify cruz as the least costly of the three i think what the philosophical difference that i would have is that i don't think you necessarily need the thing that they have said they needed uh where proven right-handed power hitting uh might be a nice thing to have but it's not necessary uh and i do think this kind of uh Covetous nature of right-handed power is a little bit odd in the season in which the Royals just went to the World Series after finishing 30th in the major leagues in home runs with 95 as a team. Uh You know, they hit twice as many home runs as Cruz hit by himself. And, and, Giants, and, of course,
0: in. the Giants didn't hit many home runs either. Well, I think
1: they were league average or so, especially mm-hmm. once you account for the fact they were in the National League and in the Pitchers' Park. And uh, The Giants weren't an underpowered team, but, you know, the Cardinals were an underpowered team. I think they were 29th in home runs, and they almost went to the World Series. Uh, I think last year was a pretty good example of that you don't necessarily need to hit home runs to win, and yet this winter a lot of teams have convinced themselves what they really need is home runs Uh and the home runs from the right side. So, uh, you know, it's – I think it's an interesting kind of mindset in that as pitching has become more dominant and, you know, runs have become scarcer, you think, okay, well, certainly offense is, uh, you know, harder to find than it was a few years ago if you were just looking at raw stats where Nelson Cruz had 40 home runs. A few years ago that wasn't notable, or 10 years ago that wasn't notable. Everyone had 40 home runs. Now it puts him at the league lead. Uh, so you say, okay, well, Nelson Cruz's performance is worth more than it was 10 years ago. But that's why we have stats like WRC Plus that adjust for league and ballpark and context. And you say, okay, well, the projections, which look at more than just 2014 data and his age, and and they think he's about a 119, 118 WRC Plus guy, which is basically in line with his career averages. That's not that special for a guy who doesn't do anything else to help you win.
0: Hey, uh, where is Jesus Montero right now? Because he is also... Probably eating something. Okay, well, he is also a right-handed batter yeah uh and uh, you know uh, he probably I, I could tell you that his uh projection his steamer projection calls for him uh, were he to get 600 plate appearances calls for him to hit 20 home runs which uh, that's above average in, in this in the current um, you know run environment. Uh, so, uh, what's, uh, is he gonna play for the Mariners ever? Probably not.
1: Hastings Montero burned about every bridge you could possibly burn over the last couple years. Uh, his work ethic, which is not going to be factored into a forecasting system based on algorithm, is, uh, you know, on the 2080 scale, like a negative 9 or something. He, He just is not a guy who has impressed anyone with his willingness to improve. Uh, he legendarily got into a, an a altercation with a scout in the Northwest League game last year when he was rehabbing in, in Everett where uh, the scout apparently bought him uh, some ice cream while he was uh, yeah. not jogging off the field at an appropriate speed in order to kind of taunt him and, and then he hurled the ice cream at the scout and went into the stands and, uh, it, you know, he got suspended for the rest of the season and the Mariners made it very clear that, uh, they were not super happy with Montero. They also fired the scout. Uh, you know, not a super professional thing to do if it's, uh, you know, taunting your own employee publicly. Uh, but I think, uh, Montero, with his lack of work ethic and lack of performance in the big leagues, and his overall, uh, unwillingness to, to maintain a decent, uh, athletic physique, uh, have caused the Mariners to completely sour on him and he will probably be traded for pennies on the dollar at some point.
0: Well, he, do you think that he's the sort of player that uh, the Rays will somehow buy in like two or years and he'll have a, a season that everyone assumed he was going to have? Uh,
1: I don't think Jose Montero is ever going to be what people assumed he was. I mean, even when Montero was a very hyped prospect in New York, I was one who suggested that a lot of the hype was not well-founded and that he was overhyped even then. I mean, I took a lot of crap a few years ago for, uh, not being on the Jesus Montero bandwagon when, you know, scouts were comparing him to Mike Piazza and Gary Sheffield and some of these other ridiculous projections. Uh, Montero was just never really that great of a hitter in the minor leagues. I think uh, for his entire career, he's been uh, more of a uh, – Hope than hope than uh performance guy mm-hmm. uh, in Triple A I think over his career he's you know run like something between a one ten and one twenty w r c plus and you know like fifteen hundred triple a p- plate appearances uh, and he didn't really hit that well in the big leagues either. I think what we have in Montero is not that different from delvin Young, who's a, a guy who was supposed to hit and just never did his approach stinks he's not a good defender he doesn't run the bases uh you know if you don't hit that player doesn't uh
0: perform particularly well What about well. Jeff Clement Jeff Clement.
1: Uh, well, Clement is an even worse version, uh, of the skill set, but probably a pretty different. I mean, Clement was a high walk guy who didn't have enough power and his knees went so he couldn't catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Clement was a good work ethic guy, not really in the same vein. I think, uh, you know, I'm gonna stick with the Delman Young comparison, where I think Montero could have Delman Young's career and bounce around for five or six years as a bench bat and part-time DH. Uh, but probably even that is now maybe Montero's ceiling.
0: I'll say Jeff Clement too, I'll just throw that. Throw that in there. But they're very different. Okay,
1: well, we'll move on. I mean, you might as well compare them to Gerardo Parra.
0: <laughs> very different. Yeah. Uh, okay, other big signings have happened. One of them involved, uh, well, not signing, sorry, a transaction, however. Josh, this is a big one. Uh, Josh Donaldson.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Josh Donaldson trade.
0: Definitely Josh the Donaldson.
1: thing you want to like go with third on the podcast.
0: <sighs> so Josh Donaldson. No, no. I'm glad we discussed the Cubans though. Josh Donaldson is uh, has been one of the top what five, five. field yeah. players. Yep. Yeah. In the major leagues over the last couple of years. Yep. Uh, uh, under team control for four more years. Correct. And w- he he's just given that, um and the fact that he's you know still under 30, you you would say well. What a great player for Oakland to have, um, but, uh, but <coughs> contrary to that notion, what uh, Oakland has done is they've traded him for Brett Laurie, and then I suppose um, uh, I mean a couple other players, including Franklin Barreto, uh, uh, whom uh, uh, without whom Kylan McDaniel is pretty enthusiastic.
1: I think most scouts are. I never, everyone I talked to Friday night after the trade was announced said Barreto's legit. This this guy is really good.
0: Okay, so um uh, so that's curious, uh, I, you know, people's, I, well, okay, so I saw a couple of reactions, uh, from, from professional writers who are like, this is crazy, it's ridiculous. Yeah, right. But, uh, that's a sort of sentiment that's accompanied many of Billy Bean's moves. Yeah, and not even
1: just Billy Bean's moves. I think, I'm probably gonna have a piece on this tomorrow, I didn't have a chance to finish it today, but I think if we look back over the last couple of years, there have been a good number of trades of high profile, very good players, who, when they are traded, the public reaction has been disbelief at the, you know, theoretical lack of return. So we basically had the same conversation in July when the Rays traded David Price, right? Uh David Price is a number one starter, one of the best pitchers in baseball, uh, you know, highly coveted, uh, had been on the trade market for a long time, every team in baseball knew he was available, uh, and the Rays traded him for Drew Smiley and Nick Franklin. And when the trade was announced, people lost their minds at how the Rays could have, you know, bungled this trade so badly and not taken so many of the rumored packages that were so much better and why, you know, th- this is what they had to settle for and, uh, really hammered the raise for taking what was seen as like a, you know, a mid-rotation starter, a back-end starter, and a guy who, you know, might be a decent second baseman. Like, you know, they were destroyed basically for this trade. And then before that we had, uh, you know, the Justin Upton trade, right, where he was sent from Arizona to Atlanta. Uh, and for Martín Prado and a collection of you know mediocre prospects, um, you know I think there's been probably a, you know a half dozen to a dozen of these kinds of trades over the last few years. The Doug Fister trade last winter is another uh, really good example where a very good pitcher was traded for a poo-poo platter of mediocrities. And the general reaction is almost always that the team that's getting the star player. won the trade by a landslide, and yet we still see teams making trades like this, and not just the stupid GMs, right? Like Andrew Friedman, (laughs) pretty pretty good GM. Uh, The Dodgers decided he was maybe the best GM in baseball when they uh, gave him, what, six or seven million dollars a year to come to Los Angeles and leave the Rays. Uh, Billy Bean has a really long success uh, and track record in Oakland. Uh, You know, Dave Dombrowski is not an idiot. He's built some really good teams in Detroit. Uh, you know, you can say what you want about Kevin Towers, but Justin Upton was on the trade box for a very long time, and, uh, Arizona's offer was deemed to be the best one they got. For, uh, you know, a 25-year-old at that point, uh, you know, slugger mm-hmm. who looked like a franchise player, or at least a potential franchise player at some point. Uh, and I think we've seen enough of these moves to where I think my suggestion is going to be that people are overvaluing star players, and we've made this Similar argument with Cole Hamels and his trade value, which people have not responded to very well.
0: Uh, (laughs) Well, well, people, many of the people from Philadelphia is where. Yeah, right.
1: The Phillies fans are incensed that we Mm -hmm. think that Cole Hamels does not have significant trade value, or not does not have the kind of trade value they think he does. Um, And I think you know the reality that the market has shared over the last few years is that outside of like the Will Myers James Shields trade. You know one elite player paid at a decent rate, which you know Josh Donaldson is cheaper than most of these guys, but he is going to be a super two and which means his salaries are going to escalate pretty quickly uh you know these guys don't command the the types of return and trade that people think they do, and so if our reaction is always to think that the buyer got the better end of the
0: deal, we're probably missing something is it um is it the difference between seeing? Uh, the player and then seeing the contract – or seeing the player rel- relative to the contract because obviously Justin Upton was going to get uh, – I don't know if he was going to get more expensive, um, uh, but – he he was going to be expensive. To, um, he was. I think he had been signed to an extension, right, at some point? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think they, the Diamondbacks were trading like three years and $39 million or something like that. It, it was not a, uh, an albatross contract in, in any sense of the matter.
0: Right, but uh, but with David Price, I mean, the Rays knew that they were not going to be able to sign him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Drew Fair Service did this uh, – wrote about this today with regard to Craig Kimbrell. Craig Kimbrell um, – I don't know that he's he's not overpaid, but to pay a reliever if you don't think you're going to win till 2017 uh is uh, also maybe silly, especially if you can get some kind of return.
1: Well, I think Mike Petriello wrote the article you're referring to in terms of the Braves maybe Well, Mike Petriello,
0: Petriello, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. He's, uh, I, you know, I just – I have a file under good guys, and uh they're both in it, Drew Fair Service and Mike Petriello. Yeah. I, there's no way I'm in that file. No, 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 yeah. no, no. All
1: right, yeah. Yeah, you have like uh, satanic heathens, and I'm probably in on that no, one.
0: Right? No, no, yeah. no, just uh, you know, just run-of-the-mill S- <laughs> sons of bitches. That's what I, that's what I have. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: so I will disagree with your premise a little bit. I do think people are not great at taking contracts and and the salary into account in trades, but I think. Uh, and this is, you know, somewhat speculative. I can't prove this, Uh and you know, I'm generalizing about a large group of people. Many of them will have their own ideas, and and this might not apply precisely. But I think in general, the public is too leans too heavily towards a uh, star player mentality, where the they see the marginal difference between players as larger than it really is. And I think if I was going to draw a comparison between, say, the the Josh Donalds and Brett Laurie swap, the David Price. Drew Smiley swap, the Justin Upton-Martin Prado swap, is that in each of these cases, the seller got a quality above average but not great, you know, two to three win type player back in return uh, and accepted less upside because they were getting a significant amount of present value where they weren't trading a star for three or four prospects hoping one would turn out uh, and, and pushing all of the value into the future. In each case, the team said, we'll take less overall value in order to get more of the value in the short term and i think the red sox did this last summer when they traded john lester and got you on a cesspitus instead of a bunch of prospects and they traded uh john lackey for joe kelly and alan craig uh, i think what we've seen is teams are willing to take less long-term upside in exchange for more short-term reward and when you make this kind of four win guy for two win guy and stuff trade which is basically what the david price for drew smiley trade was and you could argue the Josh Donaldson for Brett Laurie is not that different. Maybe it's five for three or four and a half or two and a half or something, but it's somewhere in that range. Where the buying team is buying a, a two-ish or three-ish win upgrade in the short term, they're not going to be willing to pay, you know, additional massive amounts of future value to make that kind of, uh, right. upgrade. Where people see this and like Josh Donaldson is a superstar and they assume that, you know, Brett Laurie is nothing and they, they see this huge value difference between the two, Well, I don't think major league teams see the same value difference between these types of players.
0: Now, with regard to Josh Donaldson, uh, he was a fairly run-of-the-mill, quasi, I mean, you could, he wasn't really a prospect. He Uh, he was
1: basically nothing two years
0: ago. Right. And, uh, he did some, he did some catching, but he moved to third base permanently. But (coughs) the point is, 2013, he became, and maybe he, maybe he had showed glimpses, I feel like people, I've read this, he'd show glimpses maybe the end of 2012, but, Sometimes players show glimpses and it amounts to nothing. Um, is there any reason to believe? Is there any reason to think? Has any research been done to this effect that because John, uh, Josh Donaldson became good so quickly uh, that he could – that's essentially the, the, the magic could wear off?
1: Yeah, I think that there is some legitimacy to the A's maybe still not buying into Josh Donaldson as their franchise player. I mean, certainly over the last couple of years, he has played like one. I mean, he's been, you know, Evan Mongoria or something along those lines. But if you kind of look at his career track record and you say, okay, this is a guy who didn't really hit that well in the minor leagues. There wasn't necessarily the indication that he was going to become this good of a defensive third baseman. He did have some throwing problems, as August Figgerstrom wrote this morning, that, you know, could potentially lead to a Ryan Zimmerman situation where maybe in a couple of years, Donaldson, despite being an excellent defensive third baseman right now, might need to move off the position, and all of a sudden the bat's not that great at first base. Uh, You know, I think that there is enough thought here where you say, okay, maybe we're not completely sold that he is a legitimate middle-of-the-order hitter. Maybe he's more of a good hitter than a great hitter. Maybe he's, you know, Alan Craig and not Matt Holliday. Uh, and, you know, maybe we're not 100% sold that the defense is gonna hold up, uh, as he, you know, passes 30, and if he's, you know, an an okay defender instead of a great defender, now he's, you know, a slightly above average player. I don't think it's, uh, completely unrealistic to think that Donaldson could could kinda follow the Alan Craig career path, where Craig was you know, not necessarily, Craig was probably a better prospect than Donaldson was, but there are similar kinds of players, or at least similar kinds of hitters, uh, and Craig, you know, basically imploded last year in St. Louis. I think Oakland saw that there was some chance that, uh, you know, not a, you know, Donaldson's a better athlete than Craig, but not a top of the line athlete, not a, you know, an up the middle guy who's got a lot of skills to fall back on. If his defense regresses a little bit, and his power declines, you know, 15-20%, he's not a superstar anymore, and I think the A's you know, in making this trade, are betting on the physical skills of Brett Laurie potentially making up for his injury risk, uh and thinking that the gap between Laurie and Donaldson going forward might not actually be that large.
0: Okay. Uh Listen, since we, I think we we spoke last Monday. Did both the Sandoval and Ramirez deals happen? In they the happened
1: East? Monday. Yeah. Well, they they kind of happened Sunday, but they were they kind of confirmed on Monday.
0: Oh, so did we So we did. We, we discussed them then. Yes. Oh, thank God. You, d- you don't remember the podcast from last week? No, I, so much has happened since then. You know, uh, I was on Thanksgiving. I was without power.
1: Oh, that must have
0: made cooking hard. It was. Do you know what we
1: did? Uh, uh, I should
0: say that I think you've. Maybe we maybe have some other stuff. Do you want to discuss er- Ernesto Friari in, in great detail? Uh, no, I would much rather talk about your Thanksgiving. I uh, we had no power, and there's a gas stove except the igniter on the oven part of the stove oven. Uh, combined stone oven, was uh, required electricity. So we were we were forced to cook the turkey on a barbecue grill. Yeah, that
1: can actually be okay, depending on uh, how big the turkey was.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It was uh, six, uh, 11, six, 16 pounds maybe?
1: Oh, uh, So that would be difficult. Because well, then you're, you're probably, I mean, unless you cut it down into pieces, cooking it evenly in a grill would be a
0: challenge. Well, and the the point is it worked just fine. We found a recipe online. Uh, not that very. They just basically cover in olive oil and salt, and turned uh, out, yeah, it was. It tasted just like turkey always does.
1: Good. You know what you should have done, and you would have done if you lived in the south, if that happened. Uh, is it going to involve frying? Yeah, deep fry the thing.
0: Yeah, but we don't. Have, we didn't have a deep. Wait, no, you just you fry? Need,
1: you need a giant pot that you stick in the backyard, yeah. and then you fill it with oil, and then you put your turkey in it, and you hope your, you know, it doesn't explode and kill you. Uh, and then you know you deep fry it in a pot in your backyard. This is a very common thing in the south.
0: Yeah, I've heard of this before. No, wait, yeah. But do you need some sort of element, heating element?
1: Yeah, you put like a like a Bunsen burner or some kind of uh you know like propane uh burner underneath the giant pot of oil, uh, and you put all this uh in your you know theoretically on some kind of concrete slab like in your driveway.
0: Okay, uh, well listen, so I think that. You are failing to get the full picture. The reason the like elect- we lost electricity is because we had a foot of heavy snow. Okay.
1: And so, you, so before the foot of heavy snow, there you didn't think, hey, maybe we should buy some propane.
0: Well, uh, I don't know, Kevin. You, you make it it difficult. It just wasn't. It wasn't. We didn't know we were going to lose power.
1: Right. Yeah. Big snowstorms never happen in the Northeast. Aren't you from the Northeast? Yes. Has this not? Have you not paid attention for thirty years?
0: just the, uh, the, you know, well, no, I haven't, but also, uh, no, it's just you don't expect to lose power. Really? Yeah, no. no, Okay. No, you don't. You guys have,
1: like, like, super industrial power lines up there? Because down here in the south, like, when it snows, we lose power for a week, and it's, like, a quarter inch of snow.
0: Yeah, because you don't, you guys are not prepared. How are your power lines better prepared than ours? They must be better prepared because we rarely lose power.
1: So I'm, I'm you just telling you the fact ground? they must
0: use different – oh, well, it's like I lived in Portland, Oregon, and if it snowed, their city was shut down for days. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's because they're not prepared.
1: Yeah, I, but I guess unless they buried your power lines underground, I don't see how, you're, how you could prepare power lines.
0: <sighs> I'm going to do a brief post when we're done, Cameron, on the available right-handed power options according to the projections. Okay, that sounds fun. It's an Instagraphs thing.
1: Yeah, you're basically gonna just steal my Tyler Moore post and like write about a bunch of other Tyler problems.
0: Moore's on there. You were correct yeah. in doing yeah. that. Jesus yeah. Montero is sort of on there.
1: You're gonna Moro Gomez, probably. This sounds like a Carson Sistuli kind of guy.
0: Yeah, actually, so there's gonna be a second, a secondary section that's just full of guys in Japan.
1: Oh, uh, Okay.
0: Because he's in Japan.
1: Yeah. Well, right, but he's I think available. I think you could. He. I don't think you find like a ten year deal over there, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll have a whole. Uh, cause Mauro Gomez, Brad Eldred, Ernesto, an Ernesto Mejia. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they're, I don't, you know, the projections are very optimistic about them. I don't know if...
1: They're probably not that great.
0: But then again, you know, Nelson
1: Cruz, also not that great.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. You yeah. well, Looking at the projections, you know, the, there are obviously caveats to be made, but... Right. There are guys who are not that much worse than, than him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the point I was trying to make when I wrote the Tyler Moore piece or the thing about right-handed power that included a commentary on Tyler Moore is the gap between Nelson Cruz and Tyler Moore next year is probably 10 or 15 runs. Like, if you had Nelson, Nelson Cruz in your lineup instead of Tyler Moore as your right-handed DH, your team's going to score 10 or 15 runs fewer over the course of the season than if you had, if you had Tyler Moore. Right. So, you know, 10 or 15 runs, is that worth $15 million a year on a four-year deal?
0: I don't think so. Probably not. What about what about Chris Colabello? Uh, yeah,
1: I mean he's not like as freely available, right? Because the Twins have no offense.
0: Yeah, but for, he's not. Uh, I've looked at a couple different depth charts, and no, no one really seems to think he's starting for the Twins either.
1: He was like their regular DH and right fielder for a while. I'm last trying year. to tell
0: you, I'm just trying to. Re, I'm just reporting to you with people who have some interest in this. I mean, he's going to be in my post, okay?
1: Right. But I think what, he's less freely available than Tyler Moore.
0: They have Kenny Kenny's Vargas.
1: Yes, right. Vargas finished the season as their DH, right?
0: And I guess I don't know who's gonna. What, well, what position can Can Callabel play? Left or well, right they,
1: field? They stuck him in the outfield. It didn't go very well.
0: Right. Well, they have Oswaldo Arcia uh-huh. in right field, and then who knows in left field. Yeah. Not Not Josh Willingham. Yeah. I,
1: I will say Josh Willingham maybe really wanted to go home, but this would have been a good winter for him to not retire, given what all these other bad right-handed DHs are getting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. That's Well, that's what you learned. Michael Morse. Michael Morse barely projected to be above replacement level.
1: Yeah. And okay. he, uh, so I think one of the interesting things is like if you look at Nelson Cruz and Michael Morse, I don't think there's that big of a difference between them for 2015. You might even prefer Morse as a hitter uh, if you never let him play the field. If Morse was just a DH and he was willing to do it, I think you could argue that Morse is probably a better player than Nelson Cruz. He's not going to get 460 this winter, certainly. Uh But the Mariners have been, you know, they traded for Morse a couple years ago. They've been trying to find this kind of player for, for quite a while. Uh I think it is going to be interesting to see if if the guy they got before they got Nelson Cruz ends up being better than Nelson Cruz next year anyway. Like, you know, they probably won't do it just because it didn't go very well the last time around. Uh But Michael Morris, I wouldn't be surprised if he outperformed Nelson Cruz next year for, you know, 10% of the cost.
0: Hey, do you know where Cody Johnson is these days?
1: Uh I don't know, but probably striking out wherever he is.
0: Yeah, well, he he hasn't played for a little bit, and I think he yeah. had a he had a turn in the Atlantic League, maybe. Right. Yeah, I think that his his uh,
1: power strikeout combination is not something that would work in Major League Baseball.
0: It, it, is he just an example, like because you're always are sort of looking for? I know this was a question that uh, pertained to Chris Davis for some time, uh, probably one that pertains to Joey Gallo, the um, the Rangers prospect right now. There's kind of a a critical uh, rate of strikeouts at which a player just, like, regardless of even if he has 80 power, like, he just can't exist.
1: Yeah, it's the Russell Brannion line. Right. Yeah. He perfectly straddled it, you think? If you make less contact than Russell Brannion, you probably can't play in the big leagues, unless you're, like, a gold glove defensive player or something. But as a hitter only, you have to make more, at least as much contact, but preferably more than Russell Brannion.
0: Okay. Yeah. I made, the, I made the cutoff 20 home runs per 600 plate appearances. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah. I think a, that's that seems like a fair, it's fair like, line. It's like above average with the current climate.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Andrew Brown.
1: Yeah. He was just DFA'd by the A's, I think, right?
0: He was, yeah. I think he and Kyle Blanks maybe at the same exact right. time. Yeah. And you know,
1: Kyle Blanks probably another guy who should be on the list.
0: Right. He's going but, to be on the uh, list. Uh, but can't stay healthy. So. Yeah, unfortunately for him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically it. Uh, yeah, there's, well, not, St- there's
1: not a lot of these guys. I think yeah. when I was writing the Tyler Moore piece, I was like, you know, one of the reasons why teams are paying for Billy Butler and Michael Kadiar and now Nelson Cruz is because there's not that many, like, good Ike Davis-type hitters from the right side.
0: Hey, wait, does with, with the acquisition of of Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez, does that hurt uh, the trade value of UNS Espitus?
1: I don't think so. I think people put too much stock into the necessity of the seller to make a transaction and not as much – or not enough emphasis on the necessity of the buyer. And then I think the the example I always use is the grocery store, right? Like, the grocery store will tell you exactly when the milk you're buying is expiring. Like, they put it on the label and be like, this thing's going to go bad in four days. We're going to throw this thing out if you don't buy it. And we're not like, hey, man, we're going to lowball you for this milk because it's going to be useless to you in four days. We need milk. They tell us how much it costs. They say that's non-negotiable and we pay the price. And I think the Red Sox are going to do the same thing with UNSF.
0: Have you ever haggled at a Publix before?
1: I have, I've never haggled at a grocery store. I think it would be, uh, it would be an interesting experiment and it wouldn't go well.
0: <laughs> I think you go up, cause the thing is like, the, the, well, the, you can't do it at a grocery store, right, because – well, I guess you could, but the person at the cash register is yeah. the person almost literally with the least responsibility.
1: Yeah. $8 an hour and no power. Uh, <laughs> right. Maybe a better uh, – like the farmer's market, right? Yeah. Like I think you could haggle at a farmer's market. Like uh, you know, they're, the person selling it to you is probably the person who you know pulled the milk out of the cow. And maybe, maybe <laughs> they that, that
0: how you get milk out of a cow? Yeah, you pull it. You just
1: yank, yank the cow and be like, give me milk, cow. Dave, Dave Cameron's a dairy. A far, farming lessons. <laughs> with the grass, uh, crew right here.
0: Yeah, yeah. you yeah. pull the milk. Well, no, but, all you know, if a person's selling carrots and, uh, you know, it's the, it's like uh, 15 minutes before they're leaving, they want to sell all the carrots. So you could probably get a deal on carrots.
1: Yeah, right. Or I think I've seen people come into, like, Panera at, like, 8.55 at night and be like, I'll give you 10 cents for that bagel. And the person at Panera is like, no. I'm going to go throw this bagel away, but I would rather do that than give you 10 cents. Is that or true? take, take your 10 10- cents. Oh, yeah, because I think they, like, donate them to charities or they can, like, use it as a tax write-off of, like, product waste or something and, like, write it down as an accounting thing. Or if they sell it, it's like, well, now it just hurt our margins because now we sold a bagel for 10 cents.
0: Right, and now pe- and people have gotten in their minds that we're selling right. bagels for $10. Uh,
1: right, I think this is also like the classic hotel example, right? Like if you roll in at 3 a.m. and you're like, hey, hotel, I need a room but only for like four hours, and you're clearly not going to rent that room to anyone else. I'm the last person you're going to see tonight. I'll give you 25 bucks to stay in the room. Uh, they will say no. They're going to try and sell it to you for the same price they were trying to sell it at like 6 p.m. But because they know if they establish a consistent pattern of selling rooms cheaper as the night goes along – and set up kind of a you know a market based on the, the amount of hours they're selling it for. People will wait until very late at night, and they'll lose money
0: overall. Oh yeah, look at that. So it actually yeah, there's a there's sense to having a policy like that.
1: Right, and I think that the mm-hmm. Red Sox will say you know pay us what we want for Yuniescas, but or we'll just play him, and you know they're not going to do that. Someone will give them what they want, but they're not losing value by having by threatening to keep Yuniescas. Okay, all
0: right. So he's gonna. Well, he's only got a year left on his contract, but he'll right. he'll he'll cost something.
1: He'll, I think, bring them a decent pitcher in return. It won't be uh, what people think, maybe, but it will be Matt Latos or Ma- Mike Leake or, you know, uh, Ian Kennedy or someone of that ilk.
0: Okay. What about Steve's, Steven Souza? Souza. He's actually very good. Yeah, he's very good, but he doesn't have a spot either.
1: Well, no, but he's – so he should not be on your list. I mean, the, the Nationals will not give him away. He's a – uh, a valued piece of their organization he'll be their fourth outfielder next year and he's the the guy who will play when jason worth or denard span or bryce harper inevitably get hurt because mm-hmm. that's not the most durable outfielder you've ever seen and then span's probably leaving as a free agent after next year and Souza will probably take his spot so uh Souza is a you know one of their better prospects and and not a guy that they would look to move
0: okay yeah glad we established that yeah all right you've uh, way over you've way overdone it okay uh thank you dave cameron managing editor dave cameron Thank you. That's the managing editor, Dave Cameron. Like I just said, I'm Carson Stooley. This has been FanGraphs Audio.